Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Jungle, presented by Deserto. It's your boy Digon here with Monty and Dom to break down the world of League of Legends. A little bit smaller now because some of those major leagues either on pause or already had their finish. So we're only taking a look here at the LEC and the LCS, who LEC had their playoffs finish. It was amazing. It was triumphant. It was dominant. In the LCS, uh, we're, there were a lot of reservations coming into uh, this series about what Cloud9 was going to do, but those got answered pretty quickly. But always, as always, like I like to do, uh, Monty, how was your week, man? How are you doing? Uh, well, League of Legends gets progressively worse to watch every week as the good leagues all end, and I have to watch more LCS. Uh, the LCS games this weekend were terrible, like <laughs> really bad. Starting with positivity uh, as always. I like that. Just, just that Golden Guardians are just awful. I was I was really surprised by how bad the LCS games were, especially after we started the year with like the super team and team liquid and fun Ivern creative drafts from LS and like. We've fallen a long way. We've fallen a long way. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so uh, next weekend, that'll be interesting for sure i'm looking forward to lpl being back i actually am legitimately excited about those matches i was really disappointed in rogue that made me sad uh for those of you that don't know lpl got pushed back due to again the COVID situation happening in china right now so to be safe they've pushed back their schedule and it'll resume this week dom how are you i mean maybe maybe it might resume right. this maybe. Week. maybe yeah maybe. shanghai i think is still locked down so god knows if it will or not I mean, they're definitely going online, but I think I think the matches will probably come back. I mean, it, it would be tomorrow where the matches would start. And normally they uh, they, they announce a little bit before, like 12 hours um, before uh, the matches would start that they are delayed. So I assume that they're going to start again tonight. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was uh, it, it was pretty interesting to, to see. I feel like LEC had a really anticlimactic final. Like it was just ended bummer. up being like 3-0-3-0, which is like... I mean, I, I think G2 played played better for sure, but I think that a lot of like the series, I think in both series, the, the teams just collapsed that G2 were playing against. Like by the third game, both teams had massively winnable spots. And I don't care if you think that G2 is the best team in the world. There's no way that Rogue lose that third game without being tilted. Like it is impossible yep. to like, it's literally like four zero. You have a two level lead mid. Flocka died three times at level one before he hit level two. And Rogue still found a way to like lose that game. Odo's just getting shit on by by an Orin top as Jace. You've got Larson getting solo killed by an Ari as TF when he has a two level lead, not ulting anywhere on the map. Like it was just it was just the complete Rogue collapse. So I mean, I, I think I, if I that's, actually thought if it that's game happen. one of the series, I think it's a lot different. I think sure. that game is a lot different if yeah. it's game one or game two. Oh, it definitely yeah, made I, me think a lot worse of LEC though. Like it definitely it was one of those things where I'm like, I don't know, like. I don't know if this is like how you want your semifinals and finals to actually be looking, you know, if you're going to be going internationally because G2 ne needed to be punished. Like they need to, to overcome adversity. I feel like that, that's what like builds character within a, within a, within a, a, a team, especially a team that they did. They overcame the, the adversity of losing the fanatic in the winner's bracket. Yeah. I mean, I guess, but yeah, like, yeah. I, 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 I don't <laughs> even feel like, <laughs> I don't even feel like the teams adapted to what was going on. It's like they just gave Caps RE twice in the in the final three games. They just lost. It's like okay, you're playing Lucian mid. Um, 
I just think like like Fnatic's game one draft, it's like we're running back the TF again. Like how many times we're we gonna fucking lose with the same draft before we change anything? Like where are the adaptations? I feel like that was one of the things that EU was always really good at historically was adapting throughout series. Um, and they would just like always be willing to play different drafts or like I thought the the game to game like discussions were always really productive and they always came up with like reasonable conclusions. But watching these games, I actually didn't know what was going on. Like I was like, so why are we playing the Lucian mid into the RE? Like, why are we running back the same draft 85 times for, for Fnatic? Are they ever going to stop running the, the, the TF first pick? Are we going to end up next season? They're just going to first pick TF 18 games in a row and lose all 18. Like what is going to happen? Like, cause at, at this point, I don't really know what, what's going on. Like it seemed very, very strange. It, it, it sounds very interesting how it, it, the way that I'm describing, I guess Dom's feeling right now is LEC is going through the LCS embarrassment of playoffs. Like that, that that's what it is. So for all of you at home, I, I need to uh, ask you if if you don't want to go through LCS embarrassment again, European fans, make sure to hit that subscribe button here so that you can stay up to date and smarter than some of these coaches and drafters for these teams <laughs> in the LEC. Uh, because that was a nice again, transition, but I will say the the right. upside to G two is that I think they at least looked good in the last weekend. Even though I think that D Dom's point that they didn't face much adversity because it felt like rogue and fanatic were losing to themselves a lot of the time but i think on if you take g2 in isolation i think they played pretty well but again it was not against competition that was putting up significant resistance which is why the question of international play i think you have to you know take a little bit of a pause there it's also just interesting Can you see to this me team beating t1 oh no uh <laughs> <laughs> that's what they have to no. beat to win msi yeah. right like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, I, it's it's just that it's also, I think, that G2, it, it doesn't seem like the European teams learned from other regions, right? Like we touched on last week or the week before the Weibo JDG series where the RE Vegar trades were happening in mm -hmm. the in the draft. And I I had Dylan Falco on Summoning Insight earlier today, and I asked him, I was like, were you guys prepared for a Vagar counterpick? Because this is, and he was like, no, no, like, we didn't think they would do it because Larson was literally not playing it versus us in scrims. And then also he didn't have any solo queue like games on it or the, all their research pointed to no, that they weren't going to do it. They thought it might happen. But it's just interesting to me how these other regions can have s s answers to this and you know Ari is going to be a powerful pick. Now, you definitely didn't expect Caps' form coming into this weekend. Yeah, but sure. I think you have to reasonably expect in a meta where Ari becomes a priority pick and even a blind, like a first pick on blue side, which is what we saw from G2 in game three, that you have to have something lined up for it. Uh, clearly, they thought the answer to that was Twisted Fate, and indeed, they should have Lucian. won that game. And they thought the answer was Lucian. However, Lucian died at like four minutes into the game or three minutes into the game, whatever it was in that first game. Um, so what, what Dylan said was that they were focusing on having like very strong mid jungle combinations and shutting down Larson, which they were very successful at. But I do wonder, you know, where are some of these picks? Like, I mean, you can see that they were worried about certain counter picks to the Jarvanari combo because they banned Poppy in the first game when they didn't know what the jungler was. So that would be a jungler that could stop a lot of these dashes. So, but they weren't worried about the Vagar. The Vagar never came out. Um, and it, it rogues compositions, like just frankly, don't really have any kill pressure on Ari. 
Yeah, like in game one, like who, who the fuck is going to kill Ari in game one? In game two, how do they ever kill Corky with this composition? How do they kill Corky? Like, imagine in your mind what a team fight looks like, and then imagine what it would take to actually kill Caps on Corky with Gwen, Volibear, Azir, Jinx, and Nautilus. Like, it's, like the, it's, it's straight you're just getting poked forever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the first game, they have literally, like, their their only hard CC is Leona or maybe, like, Gravitum. Yep. But they have they have Zinn, Lucian, yep. Rumble, Topside, into Nari. Like, that looks like such a and, free Ari game. And if you do lock down Ari, then the MF just ults because you used all your CC on the Ari. So, like, it's either Ari or MF that's just going to be running all over you with this composition. Yeah. I just don't know how they watched G2's games and came to the conclusion that... Zaya was more of an issue than Ari. Like, I don't know how they were watching, like, because, I mean, when I was looking at these games, I'm like, damn, like, it looks pretty hard to play Zaya if, like, the the team comp has tools to just, like, prevent the Zaya from playing the game, like GPR, for example. You pop a GPR on a Zaya. I don't know what a Zaya is supposed to do because it seems like the Zaya just has to, like, fucking run away slowly from the GP ult. And there was like options for for GB to come in instead of like Gwen, for example. Game two, they have triple AP topside. Um, I mean, obviously people will talk about Volibear, but Volibear throughout the game does more magic damage um, in fights that are like not as long because your E is percentage damage and that's your like your highest damage um, ability. You're probably not getting off like multiple W's in a fight. And then your ult is magic damage as well. So like just watching these games, I mean, it's it's really weird because for me, like, I think G2 was probably going to win this series no matter what. Uh, like, after the series started, it just looked like they were just playing better. But I think they should at least be losing the games where they play poorly, right? Like, I don't think that you can just give four kills to the enemy team, have your have your AD carry die, then walk into the enemy jungle and die again, and then get dove on the fucking fully stacked wave and die a third time, and it's 450, and he's level one. I don't think that that game's winnable. Like, it makes me think so much worse of LEC that that the best teams can't close out those leads. Like they're just too mental gap that they can't close out those leads. So it's really strange to me how, how these games work because I feel like G2 played like four like games that I think that they should just win regardless where they just had like better drafts and they were playing better, which is the the first two games against uh, Fnatic and the first two games against Rogue. But game three against Fnatic, when they let the GP like team scale into late game with like Victor and all this bullshit, like Aphilios, Victor, GP just scaled into late game. Like, and the enemy team is barren. Like, how do you win this game? It doesn't make sense to me. It's actually like, I think it's so, I think it's, oh, I think it's impossible to win that game. Actually. Like, I don't see what, what can happen where you have a, a win condition anywhere because you can't even like what happened in the game. Isn't even a win condition. It's like GP just died solo with Baron to the NAR. Like BB just kills the, the the GP in side lane when all he has to do is clear the wave while his team just sieges bot lane and then you just win and then like somehow caps TPs and then you just like start winning the game off that because Fnatic's so panicked that like random people are backing and then upsets at a 1v3 bot and then he dies and the whole game ends up fucked up like that and then suddenly you have a massive advantage like these are not things that I think are replicable against top like the bet the team that wins LPL and then and, and T1 which is that's your competition, right? Like, I don't think people are, are I don't think EU fans are satisfied with going to international competition and having like G2 get like third or like lose in semifinals and NA lose in semifinals. It's like, yeah, we tied with NA. Like, I feel like the aspirations are higher and like the bar is set much higher for that region ever since 2018, 2019. But I don't think that this is like, yeah, I, I don't think that this like 
this is how you want the finals to look like. I don't really feel like G2 got tested, really. Like, I would have liked to see how they looked if they lost a game that they should lose. Like, what happens in the next draft? Okay, so let's say we did a mental exercise. Rogue loses the first two games. They come in that third game. They just stomp them. They have the TF into Ari. What is G2's response? Are they going to run back the Ari into TF? Do they ban TF? And then maybe Ari gets banned. Then we get like a more neutralized game. Like what mm -hmm. is actually going to occur in that next game? I would love to see the progression of the series because I feel like that's when you learn a lot about your own team. Like I feel like that's when G2 would, would be able to like level up. But I feel like they just like, like team just rolled over and died. Like Odo just like hand Odo and Larson were just like, here, please just take the trophy. Just take it, man. Like, like, We've 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 had enough. We don't even want to get to game four. Like it was. Well, it, it, crazy. It's also just like you you have to be able to snowball those leads as twisted fate. That's like literally like what he does best. He's two in levels the game. up. Yeah, he's two he, levels he up. spent he he spent probably one or two minutes with his ult before Ari had ult. Ari does not have teleport this game. He didn't use that window to ult when he was six and Ari was like five. And he, I think he was seven when Ari was five, actually, if I'm remembering oh. correctly. Yeah. And so he doesn't use that window of time. Then Ari hits six. Then he tries to ult. He gets caught. So here's the crazy thing. He got caught trying to ult into top lane when Ari didn't even ult to stop him, which means that his <laughs> positioning was, I, I never got to see it because it was never shown on broadcast. They, they showed I, it in the I, mini I saw it get canceled. Monitor. I saw it get canceled, but I didn't, They, saw, they it was a picture in picture. I think yeah. they did. I, I think they did a picture in picture. I can go back. Okay. Because like, I, I still don't understand how he was in such a bad position that he would be able to get stopped by charm when Ari didn't use spirit rush to close the gap, which means he was just like walking into the river and Ari just walked on him and hit E, which is, come on, you got to be better than that about using twisted fatals. And then even when there were other fights in topside, he would like motion topside and then he would just walk into mid and start autoing the turret. Now, that probably was his team calling him off and saying, like, it's OK, you don't have to come. But yeah. I think you just have to but like the only. He, oh, my God, I'm rewatching re it in the picture in <laughs> picture. The Ari is literally on his own pink ward. So he has a pink ward in the bush where Ari is and he's just looking top. He's just not looking at his character. And then he like he's, he's so fucking mentally fucked from the first two games that he can't even play the game normally. Like he's better. Like Larson is actually a good fucking player. Yeah, he's right? a very good player. He's an insane player. So he's not some noob who like can't do two things at once. He so, plays. So he was TF. actually he was actually just TF ulting on a pink ward. So no, so he was on a ward, but the yes. Ari is clearing a pink ward in charm range right next to him on his screen, <laughs> and he's like ulting top. Like there's there's I'm telling you, it's a mental breakdown. But that's yeah, like for sure. It's so it's so sad to me because I. I, I was like really on the rogue hype train after last week. I was like, okay, mm -hmm. well, I mean, I wasn't really on the rogue hype me train. Me too, man. Me too. But I thought I thought that a team would actually have to play better than them, like holistically over the course of a series to beat them. I thought that they weren't going to beat themselves. They weren't going to do that choking bullshit where like you just see everyone playing uncharacteristically terrible in a game in the series that matters. I felt like they proved that they could get through that type of tough situation last week. No, so I, I don't know how they... They reverted this week to like Odo's just Odo got his flash burned by Orin. He got solo killed by Orin as Jace versus Orin, man. Like that's the, the Orin is not supposed to be shitting on you 1v1 if you're playing. If that's how the matchup goes, you should never pick Jace again. Ever blind. The champion is just terrible blind. Someone should just get Jace every game and everyone should just counter pick with Orin if, it, if it's actually that bad. If that's how the matchup goes, leave the champion up for the rest of eternity. Jace is a fucking dog shit champion, all right? Like, that's yeah. just what the conclusion has to be. So it's like he's he's getting shit on by the by the Orin. Or, Orin, can't, doing, or, 
what, what Dom's saying is Orin is it's illegal for Orin to win both early and win late. Otherwise, he's a god tier and be a first a pick front line. Like, yeah, he's just the bet. Like, then Orin is just by far the best champion in the game. And, and Jace is just dog shit. Like, I mean, I think Orin is a fucking good champion. I don't think it's that good, though. Like, that is crazy levels of good. That's like that's like well, a first like first like B1 Orin. If it's like this, B1 Orin or ban it because it is that fucking broken. So yeah, it, I don't know. It was I, really I, it, disappointing it, to watch for me for for these reasons. Like well, I think it, that it, Rogue didn't have a Rogue didn't understand like what the priority for themselves was. It felt like yeah. like they they first pick Aphelios and Blue Side in game one. They, then they they're like, uh oh, we got shit on because they pinched the jungle pool. So we're gonna like we're gonna try and get the Vala Bear right as the first pick in the second game. But those are two very different draft strategies and how you're going to play the game. And so it just felt to me like they didn't have a core idea of how they wanted to play versus G2 coming into the series because the, the draft just shifted pretty wildly. They were also blind picking Rumble in top lane in the first game. I thought Strange. that was good. Well, I, I think the, the blind pick Rumble is like because the, the strategy here is like, OK, so they want to give up Ari and then pick Lucian into it. Yes. And if you and have, they have two AD, so you have to have an AP top. Yes, yes. Yeah, so you have to have an AP top. And then eight, and then Rumble has like very few, like really terrible matchups top lane um, right now. And yeah, I think that the Rumble game was actually really good. I think Odo was like playing really well in that game. I think Odo outplayed BB heavily in game one, but like the rest of the map collapsed. And in game two, I think that Odo's lane phase was good again. He was up like 20, 30 CS on, on the Orin. And then in game yep. three, he just like, it was just like the Odo collapse, which I, I just hate to see because like, I want this guy to fucking win it at some point. You know, I feel like he, we all do. He's such a nice guy. <laughs> yeah. He's a nice guy. And he's like, he's, he's good. He just, I don't know. I mean, uh, here's the thing. I mean, I, if his team is good enough, he won't actually need to play well every single game. Like, like you don't need to actually be a fucking beast every game to win a title if you're on the right team. Like, that's just the facts of the matter. But I don't know. I mean, this is like uh, it was it was a little bit uh, it was a little bit rough in that third game. I think that third game like really just showed where Rogue's mentality was in the series. I mean, even after like some of the bad stuff happened where like the TF ult is canceled and stuff. Number one, like this is not a great Trundle game. Trundle's playing into uh, Trundle's playing into like no one that's going to be like a super good target to ult because of like, I mean, I think Jarvan can actually go Gorgeager in this game. I think that, you know, I think the build was weird, but like they're, they're in a winning position, but you can tell by how they're playing that they feel like they're losing. Like you can feel yeah, the stress yes. that they're under yep. in the game by watching yeah, because them. Yeah. They're, they were much more, I would say indecisive than we've seen in the past. Um, like, like to the point of TF, like going it, it what was it? It was like at 12 minutes in the game, 13 minutes into the game when Larson was like motioning topside uh, for the fight that was going on when several members of both teams were converging. You know, I think you just regardless of whether your team calls you off, you just go in on that because there's very little downside. Your wave is pushed up in the mid lane. Yeah, you're not going to get some plate gold, but the downside of that is you actually start to get the other team back into the game. So I think you just walk up there and and just at least wait in range to see what's going on as opposed to returning to mid. Um, I, so I, this, the way they were playing out these scenarios was very odd. I mean, it was, just, it was just scared. Super strange. I mean, they were, they were definitely scared. I mean, look at here's, here's the timestamp for everyone. Look at the game at 14 minutes topside. So they know, so they, they do this TP play topside at 14 minutes. Um, Odo just got solo killed by the Orin bot lane, but they know that mm -hmm. Orin could not be top. He has no TP. 
Um, Caps is no TP, ran cleanse in this game. Flocket is no ulti, no cleanse, and Larson is right next to him. They have a 4v2 and they just let Flocket live. They just walk away from it because they're like so fucking panicked about the situation. Like they were, you could tell based off just like their movements, they were like super erratic in the game. It was like, they needed to just chill. And then in that same fight, that's the one where comp just flashes over into like three people at the end of the fight and just dies. It's like, and he's the super fed jinx. I mean, I don't know. It just felt like they just weren't themselves in this, in this last, I think game one, they just got out drafted. They just got straight up beat. I think game two, it was like, they're on the, the edge. It was like some uncharacteristic mistakes, but like G2, once again, I think out comp them and out drafted them. And then game three, I think is like a free win for rogue. I think that any team should be able to win that. I think that like Astralis, would win with those with these advantages under normal circumstances like it's actually just anyone should win that game and then they just lose it and it's like damn that's how we're like losing titles i guess i don't yeah, know it was and, very disappointing uh for a team like rogue who as as you've hit on before uh, felt like turned the corner in the previous series to to lose like that to have pieces like that i, I go back to your comment about odo not needing a team not not needing to play perfect every time if his team is good enough that's what this team felt like. It felt like they were there. And uh, for whatever reason, every team that played G2 uh, after the loser's bracket could not piece together anything. It was it was the G2 diff. And it, it as you said, very similar series where games one and two, you could feel the panic. And then game three for both series it wasn't like G2 put together the best drafts, but uh, the mental boom was was pretty clear. Yep. Um, and then what, what happens? We get out of the replay at 14 minutes. They pan back into the game. What is happening? Okay, Larson, 105 on TF, has a stopwatch. Solo killed by Caps, hitting the tier. Like, he just, somehow he's just under the turret. He gets... Uh, in the top tier one turret, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah he yeah. just gets solo killed by the RE as TF. Like, it's not even close. Caps ults yeah. and finishes him off, but Caps had like two more ult charges. That, like it was like not even a close one v one. So it's, I don't know. It's, it's really I'm looking to his, see this. It, it, uh, Larson's uh, destiny was up in like two seconds. So I think he was just thinking, all right, if it does get hairy, I can ult out. And Caps showed up with like a ten second difference, and it was like, well, but what do you mean? He's be... literally autoing the turret once Caps is there. What? Uh, the his ult was up like in in like five seconds like i'm looking at it right now as he's getting chased down by caps you see it yeah but like he's he's full life and he's just like cap shows up he's on the wave like i mean just look at the minimap how is yeah. larson in the situation where he lost literally i mean he's taking turret shots too how does he end up in the situation where he loses 70 percent of his hp bar under turret versus the Ari who walked through lane that did not ult. Ari did not have ult. So like Ari just like, and had no flash. So Ari walks up and does 70% of his HP bar and the, and he's taking the turret. And then Larson dies. Like, how is this even almost a reasonable death? Like, this is a, this is a I, disgusting. I am I'm trying to figure it out. I'm trying to figure it out. I'm like, I'm trying to well, think what, what, what Larson's thinking. His, like his ult is like, his, his ult is up intense. I mean, even if he has his ult up, what is, I mean, he's just still going to die, right? Like Caps is yeah. just going to kill him. Yeah, charm and then dead, or maybe throw a gold card, dodge the charm. I mean, he's literally thirty percent HP, like out. he's just dead. Yeah. Uh, well, Larson and the rest of Rogue kind of playing a little bit more like Astralis, and as we've said every week here on the Jungle, we are trying to chase Astralis in terms of subs. And right now we're at uh, eight thousand eighteen, like uh, one hundred and eight, I think. So one hundred and eighty, somewhere around there. We're only three thousand away. Every time that we do a video, we're getting closer and closer. So we're hoping that 
will be able to get it by the end of MSI. So right now, shouts are at uh, 11,000. So make sure to hit that subscribe button here on the Deserto League of Legends channel so that you can continue to support us here at the jungle so that we can continue to create more content that you guys love uh, to see here. So thank you for all of you that have subbed. And if you haven't, make sure to take that second right now. Take that second. Find yep. the red button. Hit that button for us. Thank you. And right now, you have to say that our dom-sub ratio is really off. We would be a terrible BDSM club, so we need more <laughs> subs for dom. That's right. True. Uh, thank you. Thank you, dom. All right, there we go. Um, <laughs> Jeez. Any closing thoughts here on the LEC? Yeah, you make that transition. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not. <laughs> where, where, where are my beta bitches at? All right, here we go. Uh, Dom, closing thoughts here on the LEC before we turn to uh, the LCS. Uh, well, I mean, I think on the, the positive side, I think it's really big for G2 um, to be able to, to win. And I was thinking about like G2's, uh, the construction of the team. And I can't imagine three better veterans to be, to be like rookies or new players to LEC um, to have on your team than Broken Blade, Yankos, and Caps. Those seem like some of the most ideal people to be in veteran positions to like make rookies feel comfortable within the team. Yeah. And I feel very like that good, was a huge... Very good mentality, lighthearted atmosphere. Yep. Yeah. High yep. skill uh, still. Like, BB, BB's just the ultimate homie. Like, you know, like BB's not going to fucking shit on you if you're bad. You know, he's going to be patient and try to like, you know work you up to up to his level so and i feel like yankos is just like the same way too when you hear like the voice comes you can you can see that like yankos is just the guy who's like okay guys like we just need to improve our level quite a bit and then something that i was saying throughout the year i, I had this take before playoffs even started uh yeah uh before the playoffs even started i said that yankos was the best jungler in lec and i still feel like that i feel like he was like really good just the entire fucking split like he was just super high level the entire time even in playoffs like all of his pathing makes so much sense like he's so fucking smart about the game whereas like i, I can't say the same like i feel like it, it took until the last series but finally people started like e exposing some some bad pathing from the other junglers so yeah i mean i think the yankos really i think this is the the title that makes me think the highest of yankos because all of his other titles are just with that super dominant g2 team but this was like one of the titles that it felt like he wasn't supposed to win, right? Like Caps and Yankos were not supposed to win this title. I think coming into it, <coughs> like everyone I talked to said Rogue and Fnatic were miles above all the rest of the teams. That was coming into the playoffs. And the fact that G2 was actually able to like find ways to win, even if the other teams are not playing optimally, being able to figure out like drafts that are going to put you in advantageous positions, like being able to like tailor game states to your your biggest strengths i think is actually something that's really hard to do um and it seemed like they were able to to do that really well so i think that g2 more than anything from this i learned about like the, i think their prep was by far the best and i think their mentality throughout series was by far the best and i think that's why they won the title more than anything else well i also i also think like one of the biggest factors is that if you look at g2's earlier wins a lot of it is coming off of broken blade carrying from the top lane and the missing piece here was caps being back in a form that would be fearsome again like we've been used mm -hmm. to seeing for years and for whatever reason on this final weekend whether it was the pressure or being back in front of the crowd for the first time in a long time caps really fucking delivered even when broken blade switched back to playing a more, I would say, you know, weak side top lane. 
And not only that, but Yankos also reinvented himself. He basically became Malrong this last weekend, uh, as opposed to some of the more scaling picks like Viego that he was playing previously. And the the picks in the jungle became a core part of the Rogue series, where I think that forcing Malrong onto the Xinjiao in game one and like prioritizing the Jarvan was really, really helpful for G2. And it neutralized some of Rogue's strengths. So I was really impressed. I was really impressed by the adaptations they made from last week to this week because it answered a lot of questions and showed they could play a very different style than they had won with in the playoffs previously. And they had like good backup answers to like what was going to happen. Like they they thought like, hey, like Flocket's been playing a lot of Zaya. What happens if like teams start targeting the Zaya? They had MF, which they hadn't played before, which ended up being like really valuable. So I think that that um, that G two definitely was able to to come up with like really good conclusions and ways to actually amplify their yep. teams. And when you look at like how other teams adapt, it's like other teams almost didn't adapt at all throughout playoffs. You know, like when you look at how. And the other teams played like they didn't it looked like bot lane in the rogue series actually did not know how these lane matchups go like when they were playing the nautilus jinx into the renata zaya it looked like they actually had no clue what to do they're like okay do we engage oh wait never mind if we engage we just run into renata ult and zaya just ults and then they just fucking kill us 2v2 so like what do we do you know like you would tell that they were really uncomfortable in those situations so i think g2 was was really good at being able to um just like outdraft, like, and they just seemed like they had a better grasp on the meta that was going on within LEC than any other team. Yeah. And one thing too, that Dylan confirmed, this was a suspicion that Thorin had, which was correct is because they were on opposite sides of the bracket. And then G2 was in the losers bracket. They were primary scrim partners with each other throughout most of the playoffs, which also is why this series ended up being so weird. And like, especially in the draft phase and why, you know, <laughs> when I asked Dylan, I was like, okay, so the poppy battle I think was smart, but like, that's not a priority jungle pick. And he's like, we knew from scrims. And I was like, oh, okay. Like you knew, you knew that that was a possibility coming in from, from playing scrims against them, because it's just one of those things that, that shows up in a draft in a professional game and is only explainable by shit that we haven't seen going on Insider behind the information. scenes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Targamas, uh, I, I just want you to guess his, his, I guess we can use this as the stat of the week because I feel like he played uh, a ton of different champions uh, and pulling out the pike earlier, but I looked up his regular season stats. How many unique champions did uh, he play coming into, uh, yeah, yeah, just this season? This season? I would guess like 12. Right, like 12 is still a lot out of the 18 games you get, but no, it's not 12. I think it's 13 or 14 because I think it was 12 a while ago. It was a, I think it was 14. Close. It's 15. He played 15 unique champions. I think that is the most that I've heard. <laughs> including playoffs. Play. No, no, that was just regular season, Wait, but then he really? played all wow. the same ones. He played well, all the sure. same ones. I remember playoffs. it was 12 towards the end of the split. So I said, wow, okay. Yeah, yeah. So like, again, for those young players, I like the way that you broke that down. It's you got your vets and then the young players. For those young players to be put, in a position to to have the freedom to play stuff like that because i was just thinking about the pike there at the end that ended up being a huge comeback mechanic when your ad carry is just stunted like that in game three uh it it i think it just takes some vets that have seen some shit and we know that bb he spent some time in na he's seen some shit uh caps 
uh, and Yankos, they've gone through, you know, winning and then losing to have that taken away and then coming back. They've seen some shit uh, to allow your young players like that to perform like that is 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 pretty awesome. So, yeah. Also, I like that they dropped the champions that he was just bad at. Like, they didn't even try to make it work. I feel like other teams are so sticky with things, whereas like mm. with Targamas, it's like he played an Alistar game. It was not good. He played the Leona game. It was not good. They're like, never again. Like, we will just never <laughs> make you play these champions ever for the rest of your life. Like, no more Thresh, no more Leona, no more Alistar. Like, you play what you think is good, man. If you want to be playing Rakan, like, Renata, if you think those champions are fucking broken, go ahead and play them. And I feel like that's just the, the vibe that all BB teams have because that's what BB loves to do top lane. Like, he's the guy that wants to have the, the like, all of his teammates be open-minded and he wants everyone to, to be the same way towards him. So, like, I feel like that's something that's a huge advantage of having a player like him because he always wants draft resources. He's somebody who generally likes to have later picks in this, in this last series. I'm pretty sure they didn't end up having uh, much draft resource for him. I don't think he counterpicked very often at all because Orin yeah. was just up and he was just like, yeah, I'll just take Orin. But in general, throughout the season, like we saw a lot of Yone picks that were like flexes. We saw the auction. We, we saw the, the Trindamir. Um, and pretty much we saw no one else. I don't think we saw, we didn't see one other Yone, I believe the entire split. I mean, at least we didn't see any other uh, Yone tops, the entire split, like Ach on top was like, you know, every now and then we, I think we saw like a couple people play it. We saw Odo play it once, um, but not many people were playing that at all. And, you know, he was able to, to, to take those picks as well. And I feel like that was kind of the vibe of like G2. It's like, you just play what you are good at and what you think is good. We're not going to focus on like, what are the most optimal picks in the entire fucking world? Like we're trying to win LEC. We're not trying to like hit some like, you know, imaginary target of perfect drafting or like perfect knowledge of the patch. Another chapter written in G2's storied history here. Uh, this one has to feel sweet. And you hit the nail on the head in the post-game interview with Broken Blade. He was like, yeah, someone said that Orn was busted. I didn't believe him. And then I started shitting on players and i was like all right orn's busted so uh you know love love the insight that we can get from players as much as we can uh all right so uh, you know i guess feels bad for rogue feels bad for fanatic fun little short but g2 uh the representative here at msi for the lec uh moving forward that is a concluded major reason major region playoff series but one that isn't done yet is the lcs we had ourselves no! our first no, Dagon. No, Wait, don't make me talk about Golden Guardians. It. We gotta do it. Come on, man. All no. the Golden Guardians fans. Actually, uh, all right, I'm a flex, whatever. I, I was out last night and I was wearing my old Golden Guardians like pullover because I, I don't wear anything Golden and Guardians. Somebody just but came up to you and started beating your ass, just like hey, I, that's what I thought. I was afraid. I was very, very afraid. Okay. And that's not I how it works. Stopped. He he uh he he tripped and fell on his own face, actually. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> the ground yeah, right. him. When you're working with the big brands, you hurt yourself. <laughs> no, nothing, nothing happened to you. But yeah, someone stopped me and said, uh, hey, is that Golden Guardians? I was like, Yeah, they're like, Hey, are you D God? And I was like, Why did it go in that order? But okay, that's fine. <laughs> So, uh, but yeah, let's talk about it. Golden Guardians, they came in up against Cloud9. People were hyping it up. Maybe something will happen. Maybe we, Summit still doesn't know how to play. Maybe, you know, the nerves come on in. But Isles uh, gets the call to play and start on the bottom side of the map at support after Winsome. It felt like Winsome just kind of... I think he must, think he must have choked in front of the crowd. That's the only... Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, first off, he was up and down throughout the split. 
but and then he second had a really off, bad last two weeks. Yes, like, yes. I yeah. think I think something must have happened where he was feeling very nervous in front of the crowd because you have to remember that Summit tanked all of the aggro against Cloud9 because of the Renekton picks and like the ridiculousness of the draft and how badly he played. But secretly, Winston was also playing very badly. <laughs> I, it, it was it was a fun theory to be like, oh. Winsome was the one that made Summit play Renekton. It must be his fault. Yep, communication <laughs> issues. Boom, done. I, I like, I like how nothing was ever Winsome's fault, even though there was a lot that was Winsome's fault the last couple of weeks. It was just the other problems were somehow even more obvious. So I, I think that the, the only reasonable conclusion you could draw is that he was getting nerves being on stage in front of the crowd. And that was causing a bad performance, which must have put, allowed them to put aisles in or made them make that decision. Yeah. So again, Winsome, very young, and then hasn't played in front of a crowd. We, I think a lot of us forget that that is actual pressure, right? Just even not even like mental pressure, but physically, the stadium is there. You can hear the audience, the shaking of the speakers, the lights are. They change the way the lights work in the studio. Like it, it is a physical change as well as the pressure that's there. And. Uh, yeah, Winsome didn't do so well with that. They make the switch. They go with Isles. I interviewed Isles at the beginning of the year. Mature guy. It felt like he was waiting for this time to come. And uh, he filled his job well. But also, Golden Guardians didn't play well and kept drafting the Nocturne. And uh, they they talked to it on the broadcast. The composition didn't really fit what fit anything it was like okay you have dive champions but then you have peel champions and how are you going to make this work and it really felt like even think that was the problem (laughs) i mean i think it could have been the problem on a long enough timeline but the real problem is that they don't even play the composition early in a way that could ever be successful like they're contesting early objectives when they need to scale before they get nocturnal and they have three they have a tier in every single lane they, we didn't even get to the point where the comp was was bad because they were misplaying it so heavily in the first place. Look at that. Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was an awful game. Like uh, we're talking game one, like that was just some shit. Like the the gank <laughs> from Fudge and Blabber was potentially the worst mechanically executed gank I have ever seen in my life. Are like, you gonna play Eyed over Golden Guardians? Okay. <laughs> well, no, I'm it just, was I'm bad, but like, I, see, I feel like this is what Summit was last week, where like that was the most obvious thing that was wrong, but like basically oh. everything Golden Guardians did was garbage. So yeah, so so this is this is how I work. Like I have expectations <laughs> for like players and teams. So like for me, Golden Guardians, like them being shit is like yeah, like I've been like like I've been this saying shit, they were shit though. This was like next level shit that they they were this week. I wasn't surprised by how shit they were. Like, I never right, really fair. thought All they right. were they were that good. Like, I, I mean, I think Pride Soccer's pretty good, but I mean, there's like there's some something in his contract that says you must only pick Nocturne for the rest of your life. Um, I don't know. I mean, look, on the bright side, they get like two months off so they can just go chill, you know, go to the gym, like is pick up a new hobby, enjoy the weather, go to the beach. Like they can chill for like two months. So like that that's a benefit for, for Golden Guardians. But like, come on, this game one. I, I, of course, Golden Guardians played terrible the whole game. Definitely not giving them any excuse there, but like just seeing how how the game should have played out for C9 and then looking at that fucking gank. Oh my God. Like, have you ever seen anything so bad from Fudge and Blabber in your life? Like 
Victor lasered backwards. Like, have you ever seen a Victor <laughs> laser backwards? How does that happen? How do you laser backwards? Like, it's not like a fresh flay where you like have to aim back to like flay the guy. And sometimes you see people like try to flash flay and they flay backwards because they're trying to quickly adjust. You to literally their have to drag it, it up. the opposite direction. <laughs> Yeah, well, like, I don't know how, how the Victor laser ends up going behind you. Like, because why, why would you be clicking behind you when you're walking forward? Like, I can understand him missing it, like, the angle of it being off. Or maybe, like, he slid his mouse in the wrong direction after. But he, like, casted it behind himself. Like, I don't even know how that fucking happens. Because generally, your mouse is going to be ahead of you when you're chasing, right? So then you see Blabber throw the worst cue of his life. And then he flash kicks to try to get the guy off the blast cone. And his Q isn't even up yet, so he can't even kick into Q. And then he misses the next Q, and then he just dies. And it's like, how is this? This is the result? Like, come on, guys. We're better than this. Like, we're better mechanical players than this. I think. I hope so. Uh, for those I of you at home, uh, start, start your clip at 1138, uh, game yeah. one. It is it is amazing. Actually, I just did that while you were re-narrating it, and it was so much better. <laughs> the I mean, just look perfect. at the laser. Like, the laser, I think a lot of people, like, missed, but the laser is just... What? <laughs> Why is it going there? Like, how does it end up behind also, you, bro? Wasn't it also on the opposite side of... It was on the bot. It was toward on the bottom side of the map when they were on the top side of the map, so it was, like, backwards and on the wrong side. Uh, yeah. It was like going into the top bush, uh, the top line bush of mid lane. So he's like yeah. walking there and then he just lasered like behind himself back, which at that point is like slow. So yeah. obviously it would be it's, it's really like good. Just go straight like this way. for some reason. I don't know. I don't know. When I saw that, it was, it was crazy. Also, here's something that I want everyone to just realize. If enemy teams draft Zaya, just pick GP. GP just makes it so unplayable for Zaya. You drop GP ult on Zaya, Zaya can't play the game. Like, can't walk forward at all. All it can do is, is kite backwards. And if you're playing a comp that doesn't actually need to, like, full commit into Zaya, like, you're playing this comp that, that they're playing in this game, one with, like, Leona, Victor, GP, MF, uh, Lee Sin. You don't actually have to dive the Zaya, and you don't really have to dive, like, any of their champions, really. You can just kind of play front to back, and Nocturne's going to fall off. Zaya is just so worthless in all these games. Every time I see Zaya into GP, it looks so crazy unplayable. Unless you're fanatic in game three, in which case you just lose anyway because your mental is so boomed that you can't get over the hump. So <laughs> it's tough. It's tough, man. All right. So that was that was just game one, y'all. Uh, there were two more games of this uh, glorious. Oh, but it, it, what, what I was talking about earlier is like you just if you're Golden Guardians, like I don't understand why you're even contesting early objectives at all like it's just completely unnecessary with the composition that you have it's like they don't understand their own goals in terms of like what is the perfect like end game state for them and they will just chase anything that's in front of them and it's like if you want to play like that then draft like that right like you don't draft this composition and then opt into early dragon fights yeah th this feels like one where you'd love to get the comms. We're not going to get the comms, but you'd love to get the comms to be like, why, why, why is that happening? Who is calling that? Because I, I feel like an, an arrow's not drafting this, and, and the rest of the coaching staff. So it's not just Nick, but uh, they're not redrafting this without going over that multiple times. Uh, but lo and behold, here we were, and again, Golden Guardians never really got into it in this series, and Cloud Nine. Uh, that that laser was great, but they 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 took the series as well. So I feel like we didn't we didn't learn. I mean, it wasn't even a series. Like it's just like one of those things where it's like, yeah, I mean, if C9 
even plays bad, they still 3-0 Golden Guardians. Like, this was the problem with, with LCS is that, like, the the middle to bottom is so bad that it's, like, not even almost entertaining to watch this. Like, if you look at LEC, for example, in the same, like, position of the draft, like, you know, like, four, like, whoever's going out, four or five, this is, like, when you literally got to watch G2 versus Vitality, which even though it was a 3-0, it was actually a series, you know, like Vitality had leads in all three games and they kind of fucking threw, but it looked, it was like, oh shit, like this game is like, these games are, are legitimate. Like Vitality is not that much worse than G2 in those games, right? But like, this is just, I don't know, bro. Like, it's just one of those series where you're watching and you just kind of want it to end quicker. You're just, you're just hoping that I know that it doesn't go to a fourth series game. This weekend, I, I, like, I, there I mean, just wasn't so clearly outclassed. Yeah, there wasn't, especially because I think EG did a, did a very good job of pinching the mid pool, which forced Takui onto Oriana. And considering Takui was the main carry potential on this FlyQuest roster throughout the entire split, it's kind of surprising nobody did this earlier. But also, this team, like, they, somebody, this is the same problem that we saw in Cloud9 last week. And, uh, this week, at least, I will say Fudge did step up and carry, although it was very easy for him a lot of the time because Super when he easy. plays LeBlanc and there's literally nobody who can stop you from poking as LeBlanc, like they, there is actually no LeBlanc counterplay on Golden Guardian's composition to prevent. How do you catch the LeBlanc with Gwen mm -hmm. Nocturne, Victor, Jin, and Leona? There is no kill threat onto Fudge ever. So it's Draft really so easy. Much better, just in general. Yeah, it's really easy to play LeBlanc. So, yes, part of it was he got. It was free for Fudge, but he did actually carry, which if you see Summit moving into, let's say, more of a weak side role, that was the question about C9 is can Fudge actually carry these games? And the answer was yes, although to the, the, the degree to which that is true, we don't know because the drafts and play were so bad from Golden Guardians. So yep. open ended question, really. Um, I mean, and then in the second how he lanes versus Jojo next week, right? Like that's when <laughs> yeah, you make exactly. a distinction on if he's actually like going to be able to lane well. But but in the other series, it's like, okay, so to they get like FlyQuest literally gets Zeri, which nobody gets these days. Johnson can't do shit on it. Takui is on Oriana with zero, zero backline threat with this Oriana. This Oriana cannot do anything in any of the games where Oriana is played. Like in the later games of this series, like look at game three. Danny, Danny is playing Jinx and Tom Kench, and FlyQuest has Scion, Volibear, Oriana, Aphilios, and Nautilus. How does Jinx ever die? Uh, if there, everything even without the Tom in Kench, front of it, the, yeah, the Tom Kench is even just completely unnecessary in this composition because even if Tom Kench isn't there, Jinx isn't going to die, and then Jinx is definitely not going to die with Tom Kench in this in this lineup. Like there is no way to deal with Jinx. So these drafts are just, they're just horrific. Like they're, they don't have the tools in order to shut down Danny at all or win this game. And then the Oriana on your best player, on your highest performing player, because the mid pool is just so pinched at this point in time. And again, we've, we've had this conversation before, but when you pinch the mid pool or when you pinch a champion pool that much, like the, we saw with Summit, somebody has to step up with a blue side power pick in order to win the game. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what to say. Yeah, it's true. Somebody that does. was uh, that was that was the conversation I had with Afro. I, I was able to chat with him post game, and he he felt like game one was close. He knew the mistakes they made in game two. He was like, "But 
just he said games three and games four we got exposed as a team like you our flaws were on clear display as well as not having the tools to fight when they wanted to fight he said there were multiple times that that they wanted to pull the trigger and for whatever reason other than him and i think he said jose the other guys they're still new he he was you know putting the positive spin on it that they're new and this is their first playoff showing and to win a game like game two is going to be great to build upon for next season but uh, he he was pretty adamant that like they, I, they I, were what I, they I mean, game I, two I, was I, even embarrassing because they had yeah. soul so early on into the game and they still almost lost and yes it was a good play from Kumo to go like backdoor the Nexus. I, I, that was actually a very good heads up play. I felt in that moment when you're half HP on Gwen coming out of the fight, they're not going to expect you to not recall and then like TP in. So I think that was a good shot call from from FlyQuest to win that game. But it never should have been that close. It never should have come down to that moment in time ever. Of course, but that's that's the problem. It's like, is it a good like? Do you do we compliment a team shot calling when they like? weren't able to shot call their way out of the first situation they're in this right, game, which exactly. is like they have Baron and they have so and they're splitting on mid and bot and then Kumo just gets caught and then the whole game fucking explodes. You almost lose your Nexus. It's like that's yeah. and, and literally that's literally rough. EG should have won off of that moment, but then EG mm -hmm. fucked up, right? Like this was but I feel like both of these games, people are gonna take away like, oh Cloud9 looks a lot better and like wow, EG really dispensed with FlyQuest and they managed to pull it back in like a really tough situation. But honestly, even the winning teams played kind of bad in these series. Yeah, it, it's tough to watch. I mean, it, it's you just got to wait for next next week. I feel like next week's series is actually like pretty hype just because it is Cloud9 versus EG. And both teams like are going to feel like fourth place is a failure, right? And both teams want to actually be able to get to Houston. So um, I think that that's a week where you can take a lot more. But I mean, either of the just like FlyQuest and Golden Guardians, like it, it doesn't look like FlyQuest and Golden Guardians can ever win. You know, like when you go into these series, you're like, what could have happened in the series for them to win? Like, so for example, there was only one series that I felt like that in pretty much the entirety of playoffs, which was uh, G2 versus Misfits. I guess Misfits versus Rogue was like a little bit like that, but Misfits did win a game. But like G2 versus Misfits was the only game that I watched where I'm like, I can't even take anything away from this because G2 is just on another level than Misfits. It's like so clear that even like drafting and everything, I would put like... It's, it's just such a good series from G2 because they don't have to show anything. Like, they don't reveal anything. They they win so hard that anything that they would actually have to pull out in a series, any, like, you know, cards that they have in their deck are just still left within their deck and not on the table. So, for me, I, I, I it's just, like, these types of series, I feel like, is what is why people just, like, always flame LCS is because there are going to be matches that I want to watch. Like, next week's matches, I think, are pretty good. EG versus C9, 100 Thieves versus TL. I think that those are both interesting matches. You can get into them. But like these matches, it's like you're just like when EG wins game two, you're like, fuck, man. Now they have to win in four games instead of three. It's not yeah. like you're like, damn, maybe FlyQuest is going to come back. <laughs> yeah. Like, especially you, you with how, like they, how the they almost lost that game anyway, in spite of this tremendous yeah. advantage that they had. And I, I guess my confusion with with watching the LCS and LEC is like I expect obviously I expect a lot more from very good teams that I know are good in LEC like Rogue. I don't know what happened to Rogue this last week, but they played uncharacteristically badly. But at least we got to see like prime caps again. That was very exciting, right? G2 had to step up. They changed their strategy. All their players were playing well. Um, but there wasn't a lot of resistance. But what, what is confusing to me is like the priority over some of these champions that we know, like we can literally just watch Korea and China and we can see 
okay, they're, they they do it. They've like already gone to the next level of like what deals with Ari. Yeah, and like, this is OP. What are the counterpicks? There's Vagar, like, there's Vax. Like, where are these champions in the West? Like, why why are they being played? Like, what? it's very obvious that this is like a back and forth that exists in the drafts in these regions. And it's not like you need a billion hours of practice to play fucking Vex and Vagar. They're not super mechanically demanding champion sure and then also like you think about like the players that are playing it like i could understand certain people being like uh they're not really a vex but like i mean humanoid seems like a vex player larson seems like a vigar but isn't isn't vigar like the perfect yes, answer exactly for like larson? Exactly. Isn't, that, isn't that just his <laughs> champion it's like it's the mage that just wants to sit back scale like and just abuse like going even in lane and then just starts taking over later on once you get a couple items like that is larson's fucking champion bro why is he not playing it? Like, why is he playing well, Lucian? What's, like, what's funny, what's funny, Dom, is you talk about the G2 Misfits series, but the one game that was actually interesting was the, was Vex, the Vex game, game. from VTO, where he al he actually played Vex well enough to almost come back in that game. It, it, it was getting me a little sweaty there at times when he was when he hit some like big plays on the Vex because I thought, oh, maybe there is a chance that Misfits can actually win this game. Okay. It's a good champ in this in the context. It just feels like it feels like the meta is like half baked in the LCS and LEC where the the actual like back and forth of champions in the draft is just incomplete yep. a lot of the time. And it leads to games where you're picking Orianna and you you just you cannot kill a jinx. Like there isn't a way to kill a jinx with Scion, Volibear, Orianna, Aphelios, Nautilus. Yeah, I mean, they're just turbo outranged. I mean, look, look, I mean, it's not a just Jinx, right? It's Jinx and Azir. Like, who's <laughs> killing either of them? Like, both of them are impossible to kill in this game. So, I mean, so on, on the positive side, I will say that, like, EG, this was by far the best drafts they've, like, had the entire split. Like, For their sure. draft in, in game two, their draft in game, or sorry, game three was the biggest draft gap I think I've ever seen in any region in my yeah, entire uh, life. That's the game I'm talking about with the, like, yeah, there's no way for them oh, to kill the Oh, I thought, I thought you were talking... Well, this, the next game is the same Either game. Thing. It's, yeah, but it's even worse in the first game because at least there's a universe where maybe you hit the Jinx with an Ornult in the second game and can maybe do something. But in the first game, there's actually just no way to Yeah, but the, the, I mean, maybe you hit him with the Ornult and then there's a Tom Kench on, on the enemy team. Yes. So the, the Jinx yes. is like even safer in game four. Yes. Like, I don't know. I, I, <laughs> there, I mean, the Tom Kench is in both games, so you pick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I, I think in game four, it's like, I don't know. Uh, I mean, you have like Renata, which is a champion that specializes when a team runs into you, which like if you watch like against a poke comp. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> against a poke comp. Doesn't make sense. When you watch G2 play Renata, what are they playing into? Things like Nautilus, things that are going to fucking run into them. And then what do they do? They just press Renata ulti and then they just win the trade. So, yeah, I don't know. It's it's really fucking weird. It's it's really strange to me to see how. Um, yeah, to, to see how these these drafts uh, shape up. I mean, I just. I don't know how they get to the stage where they can be this outclassed in draft. Like, how do you get to the point where the enemy team has counterpick top? Like, they have counterpick top. People perceive this as a counterpick mid. The enemy team has a trundle, which is good into the, the whole team comp. You're you're dealing with two immobile carries, and you have uh, Scion and Volibear and Nautilus. Three targets that trundle can ult. So it's like, great trundle game. 
the Jinx is super fucking safe in the same game. Like it's like they, they so, get out range. I mean, so it's like, how do you look, end up in a draft where all three of your lanes are countered and the team comps like counter you in the fucking fights themselves? <laughs> what is going on? Like, how does this actually occur? Like you're literally losing in every look, capacity of draft. You lose team fights, you lose split push, you lose fucking lane phase, you lose early, mid, late game. Like you, what do you do? Like, how do you play? I don't the understand. Best thing, the best thing is it's Danny's build too. Like he doesn't even build rapid fire cannon because he thinks he's so fucking safe yeah like he doesn't even need rapid fire cannon in this situation because it's so fucking free for him <laughs> i mean i i would argue in this game like when you have a tom kench i would say like just build kraken slayer i don't think he needs gale force in this game sure uh, i mean I'm, I'm actually surprised he built gale force as well yeah I, I think that, that was actually a miss buy by him but it just looks impossible to play like i mean i tweeted it out ls retweeted it, it was just like you're watching this game from from the from a spectator you're like this is the this is impossible to get draft gap this hard. It's actually not possible to get draft gap this hard because of the way that picks work, right? Like if, if you're trading back and forth, like unless you had to pick all five of your champions and then the enemy team gets to pick all five of their champions, counter picking your five champions, like blue team is like, we de declare these five champions and the red team gets five counters. If that's how the draft worked, I could see this happening. But how in a world where you're like trading one, two, 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 one, like with bands, how do you end up in a situation where you get draft gap this hard in game three? To be know. fair to EG's coaching staff, I actually think people will focus on like the Nidalee Renekton stuff, which was obviously bad. But if you look at the the rest of the series, I think EG has done a really good job of maximizing their player strengths and figuring out clever ways to potentially take on better opponents like Team Liquid. Uh, we we saw that in like the swapping of lanes with like the Lucian and Rise in the last series. We saw it with the level ones that they had planned out versus Team Liquid. I think that if you look at getting the most bang for your buck in terms of the players that you have, EG has done a really good job in their drafts over the course of these playoffs. I think they've maximized the value of these players through the, the decisions yeah. that they've made, which has I, been I impressive. Think, I think so too. I think the, the curious thing to me is that like impact is just not playing his role as like a weak side slash tank top laner as well as he has in the past. Like you would think that like, with this team impact playing like GP into Kumo's tanks or him playing Orin would be just like, it would just be that super solid, like really proactive, just like that best tank player that we had literally in the entire West at a point. And it just feels like he's not like, he's just dying like in, in weird situations. He's dying to ganks that he used to not die to. So I would say that that's a little bit curious for EG. I wonder why impact is struggling so much because he never got any help. So you can't say like, Oh, but like on TL, it was like, his jungler would cover for him and like it's like no he was literally on a fucking island his entire career <laughs> like just top lane and no one would help him ever and he was still always fucking relevant always making good decisions like it was even worse than that there were games where like his team would actively fuck him over they would just like run top suicide to the top laner and he would just be like it's fine like there's nothing that this guy could there's no advantage that my enemy top laner could have that could ever make me not be relevant within this game and now he's just like oh you ganked me well i guess i'm just dead he did bounce back in the GP game. Yeah, but it's like, but before he wouldn't die like that. Like he wouldn't just die. Like <laughs> he saw the enemy jungler just walk back up and died. It's like his W's on corner. He just like walked back in. He's like fucking has his hand in the air as the fucking pirate and just gets slapped. It's like, oh, well, shit, maybe I shouldn't have walked up. Like just gets double flashed on. I don't know. <laughs> well, uh, you know, 
Yeah. I, 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 he he also tends to play to the level of his opponents, and that's always been true. That's why there are always the discussions about oh, it's playoffs impact now, right? Because he can he, he can like he can like run it sometimes in the regular season. He definitely he definitely steps up in harder <laughs> in harder games. I feel like. Okay. We'll see though. And to be fair, uh, I'm gonna get flamed for this, but to be fair, I felt like Kumo played okay in this series as well. Like he Kumo did. was probably oh, one of the good. better players yeah. on Black Quest roster. So impact was I think Kumo had a really good season overall. I think he like was yeah. I think he ended up being the best out of the NA top laners. Cause like you gotta like make the distinction. It's like you got the imports who are like that like drastically better than everyone else, vastly sure. better than everyone else, and then you have the no, NA I think, top laners. I, I still think revenge is better, but I think Kumo did improve a lot as the the season revenge played I, I think revenge had a really weeks. like rough like last two weeks i i agree with that but he also was on a horrible team and didn't get any help <laughs> plus my name is monte cristo so i have to like revenge so there you go uh, it's <laughs> <laughs> i'm never i'm never i've never actually read the book so like I, I don't know too much about the lore of monte cristo oh okay so dom the whole thing is just in culture the Cat of Monte mm -hmm. Cristo is always just synonymous with the concept of revenge. That is the whole point of the book. Yeah, still haven't read it. I've I've been wanting to read it, but it's just such a daunting task that I've just. It's decided, a huge like, book. It's, it's I mean, it's like eleven hundred pages or something. I'm like, I could literally read like four books in that in that time. <laughs> and, and, and as somebody who's named Monte Cristo, I'll tell you, it's not even that good of a book. I mean, it's entertaining, <laughs> but you have to you have to you have to understand that it's basically just like a 19th century soap opera. So if you're cool with that, it's very exciting. You know, Dumas wrote the Three Musketeers and stuff like that. He's a very good adventure storyteller, but it's not great literature. So it's fun. It's we fun. need a Monte Cristo reading list. That's what we need at some point. Did you know that I have a reading channel where I read The Count of Monte Cristo? So you can just listen to that. I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, but like, I mean, the thing is, like, if you're if you're actually a good reader, you can read a lot faster than you can like speak the words, listen. you know. So I would rather just like sit there with the book That's and like. Invest, I know you don't want to uh, listen to me. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I tried audiobooks, but they're so fucking slow. It's like you hear the person like talking. It's like, please, yeah. just like let me just fucking. Get I, I only I only do audiobooks when I'm like on a road trip, and in, in which case they are very enjoyable. Well, speaking of revenge, we've got a revenge matchup here in our next. Uh, I guess, elimination match for third place between Cloud9 and Evil Geniuses. Vulcan, one of the star players for Cloud9 for several years, the original North American Million Dollar Man, uh, gets moved to Evil Geniuses and now is playing a team in Cloud9 who's having trouble in his old position with Isles coming on in. How do we see this one shaking up here for the third, fourth matchup? Uh, EG against Cloud9 with EG's great draft prep compared to Cloud9 who beat Golden Guardians, Dom. Uh, I mean, it's really hard for me to say because I think both teams are, you know, like both teams are are not super good. So it's kind of just like whoever shows up better that day, whoever just makes like better decisions. Um, I want to say Cloud9 at their peak is slightly favored. Yes. But I could. I, I mean, <laughs> are I they peaking know, but... right now is the question. And we can't tell because we learned absolutely nothing from those Golden Guardians games. Well, I mean, I think what we need to actually see is how how the matchups are actually going to go versus better players because i think that for example if cloud nine plays the way they do in game one i think that just mechanically eg will just stomp them in a game like that like i don't think that eg is gonna let that shit fly um but i will say that like isles did make the team look a lot better in the early game just having a support that's actually not running it down is really important for like early herald fights and just like 
finding opportunities. And it looked like Harold was, uh, or like uh, just in general, Isles was better in those Harold situations, which are really prominent right now um, throughout the game. So like, I want to say C9 is slightly favored in my mind, but I don't even know if like, I actually think that Cloud9 is better than EG, or I just kind of want Cloud9 to win because I feel like if they actually like, start performing well again, they have a higher ceiling than this version of EG. So it's it's really difficult for me to make a decision. I guess I would go like 51% Cloud9, like 3-2 Cloud9 in the most like disgusting fifth game back and forth th throw <laughs> fest that we've ever seen in our life. FlyQuest Evil Geniuses game too. We'll I think, I think if you five. think the teams are even, that the prep uh, coming in and the set plays have been better from EG. So I'd say 55% EG, but I share many of Dom's concerns. My concerns with evil geniuses are that Jojo Pian still randomly dies in side lanes because he doesn't really know when he's under threat a lot of the time. Um, Impact's individual performance that Dom brought up earlier might be slightly concerning depending on how well Summit is playing. Uh, I think the, the positive side is we have seen I guess a couple more champions out of Summit at this point in time, which is an encouraging sign, but Impact should still have the larger champion pool overall. So I think I think it's a little bit EG favored because they only need one of those games where they come up with a creative level one or have a, an interesting early set play in order to get a pretty big advantage. Uh, I think for me, I'm just excited to see the spot lane matchup. Uh, Berserker and Danny both can play on Knife's Edge and love to play the Knife's Edge. Uh, Isles coming on in who... Uh, I think a lot of people know that Isles has been down in Academy, but also part of the internal scrims working with Zven a lot has been leveling up and getting that, I think, uh, higher tier experience that maybe King can't provide. So as much as he's been out in Academy, he's still getting uh, top tier guidance and that's just going to be a really fun lane to watch i hope they make it fun i hope it's not just a farm fest and then at some point we get into a team fight later but that they do try to do some uh 2v2 skirmishes and see where that ends up because it's been highly documented the the dance between vulcan's aggression and danny's uh, conservative play nature to scale and then get to team fights and that's bit them in the ass before uh evil geniuses so um yeah i want to see how that shakes up here in this series I, I go for the higher ceiling as well in 3-2 Cloud9. I, I want to see this Cloud9 achieve this higher potential that they have uh, and, and, and can get to. So, all right. There we go. Well, it didn't hurt too much there, Monty. LCS, done. You know, no, we have to do one more. Uh, on the top side of the map, <laughs> let's go to TL and 100 Thieves. How dare that you is be, our other map. like up. that, sir. How yeah. dare you be? <laughs> it's, not done. it's never done. <laughs> uh, TL, 100 Thieves, they have their matchup. Again, it's double limbs, so whoever loses will go down and play the winner of Cloud9 EG. That'll be the first match on Saturday in Houston on the 22nd. Or is it the 23rd? On the 23rd, Saturday the 23rd, and then the finals will be on uh, the 24th. Uh, what do you, how, how do you see this one shaping up here, Monty? I think Team Liquid wins this. Uh, I think, well, 100 Thieves win was obviously very convincing uh, versus Cloud9. That was a really terrible series for Cloud9 overall. And we saw we saw 100 Thieves. I think it's fortunate for them that they've returned to a 100 Thieves meta where you can play really aggressive early game junglers, even though Someday has been good 
over the course of this split uh, on top lane carries. He's now back in the someday comfort zone where he can play weak side top laners, which has always been his strength. Abadage is no longer a dog. I don't know what was going on for half this split, but he definitely ramped up towards the end. The whole split. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely looks back now, though. Don't know what's going on there. Um, Very odd performance by him. But it seemed to go very well against Cloud9. Now, Cloud9 was a weaker opponent. I don't feel like this answered any questions that I had about what happens when 100 Thieves goes to a late game. And the problem for me is that Team Liquid seems like they're always able to make it to late game. So even though Team Liquid has been able, has been throwing sometimes in late game, I'm not sure 100 Thieves is the team that is capable of catching those throws should they enter into that scenario. So for me, the question is, do we believe that 100 Thieves is going to win the early game hard enough? Or is Team Liquid going to be able to kind of keep step for step with them? And then in which case, I would say that's a very heavily favored Team Liquid scenario. So I guess this is to say, I think it's like Team Liquid 60% or 65%. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't really know how to judge it myself. Like, I look at the teams, and it's like, hundred thieves. If if they play well, I mean, are they just gonna win again by just being a <laughs> hundred sins? They'll just win early game hard enough that it, nothing else matters. Is that gonna be the 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 result of this play? I hope not. I hope for the sake of this region. Look, I'm okay with hundred thieves winning. I have nothing against hundred thieves. I just hope that they actually have to at some point get better at the stuff that they're bad at to win. Because that's how like regions grow is you get challenged and you figure out like what a team's strong at. You take that away from them and then suddenly the team has to adapt and get better at stuff that they weren't good at. Like we didn't see too much of that from LEC, but even in LEC, we saw like G2 at least adapt towards like, hey, you know, we were playing like strong side top the entire series, the entire season. And then suddenly, oh, we're playing Orin in like or the last baby. few games. And it's yeah. just BB's playing Orin. He's just dominant. The team just looks like they can make that level up where it's not like we have to win through top. It's like, oh, we can win through other places. Our fire top is still just playing like a solid orange. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how to call it. I, I'm getting this like horrible feeling that hundred thieves is just going to win again, um, by doing the same shit. So I don't know where to go. It does seem to be the right. Papa Smithy told me that closer gets an insane crowd buff. That's what he, that's what he told me was that closer really, thrives in the live audience environment which was part of the reason why they were doing better god maybe i'll go i'm gonna go i'm gonna go 100 thieves 50.05 percent (laughs) so 49.95 to 50.05 percent by the way i am annoyed that 100 that 100 thieves i keep calling it 100 thieves because 100 thieves isn't a fucking thing that anyone ever says and the name of the org is terrible uh, so I always just end up calling it 100 Thieves. But anyway, 100 Thieves, uh, I feel like they can't keep getting away with coming into playoffs and then having a meta shift that is extremely favorable to them, just like they had last summer as well. I find that annoying. Uh, I think 100 Thieves wins this. I don't think they win the LCS. I don't, I, but I think they win this because I just don't like the way that TL is prepped. I do think that those vets are good enough to figure it out at some point, but I don't. Like, I think the aggression from 100 Thieves compared to, like, a dormant LCS that it's mainly been so far will surprise TL. Look, if TL loses, there is no hope for NA. Like, seriously. 
Yeah. This uh, yeah. this Team Liquid roster <laughs> is the fucking super team. These players on Team Liquid should be internationally competitive. Yeah. If they lose, it means they are less than the sum of their parts and NA is doomed. Okay? Like, I hate to say it, guys, but pound for pound, 100 Thieves is not as good as Team Liquid. Look at Team Liquid's fucking roster. You have a fucking world champion player on this roster in Core JJ. You have Hans Sama. You have Santorin, Bjergsen, and Bwipo. These yeah, are you, all, like, if if this team cannot win LCS and cannot perform well internationally, NA is doomed, guys. It doesn't get better than this. Wow. It's true. Sounds like how uh, I thought about Cloud9 last year. It's like, you've got the, the <laughs> fucking Western GOAT on this team, the best jungler that NA's ever had. You've got Vulcan, Vulcan and Zven, who've been shitting yep. on fucking bot lane for an entire year. Yep. Holy shit. And Fudge, one of the most promising players Top that has players. came into LCS in, mo in, in recent memory. And was the best international player on that roster at MSI, too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, as, I guess, as, I guess, as a rookie. I guess, to be honest, I was, like, pretty good. Like, like when you take away like how the the quarterfinals looked, I mean it was the first time that NA got out of the group stage in like three years, so that's pretty solid. Yeah, but th there have to be higher expectations for this roster. I mean, it just put yourself really? in, in the fucking yes. Fudge was an unknown starting last year. That's yeah, true. I don't know. I, I don't know if I could see like so. So you're saying that they have to get to semifinals of Worlds, or it's a failure. I think I think that if they are not at least competitive with some of the top, like they should be able to take a game from an Asian team with this roster. It it is when you have to have NA residents, it is difficult to make a better roster than the one that this is. How would you improve this roster? Uh I don't, I don't know, man. Like, uh, like that's what look, I'm saying. Is, look, look, but the, the thing is, you <laughs> don't actually maybe. need NA residents, right? Like, what you, okay, I mean, you do need NA residents, right? But you just need to wait until the next generation of players becomes NA residents. Like, when closer becomes an NA resident, it's like, all right, now. <laughs> all right. I mean, you, you can find the next up. big business. <laughs> I mean, you could put Blabber in this roster, I guess, but I feel yeah, like yeah, Santorin. That's yeah, that's what you're saying. I think that, I think that Santorin fits his role within this team and he's not a slouch right it's not that there's a distinct obvious upgrade to be made is my point and like this roster with all the money that team liquid like is paying to bjergsen like this roster has to win lcs anything less than winning lcs and at least being mildly competitive internationally is a failure yeah sure so losing the 100 thieves would be a huge failure this weekend yeah Oh, I'm on board with everything you said. I think it still might happen. Like, like this doesn't change. Like, it's just a change where, like, what I think. Well, it's like, yeah, that would fucking suck. Like, basically, basically, Team Liquid has gotten a pass in terms of the expectations because the LS drama tanked all of the aggro this split. Mm -hmm. right? NTSM. NTSM. Anti NTSM. Yes, that's true. Team Liquid has gotten a free fucking pass, but realistically, guys, even. Even before LS left, Team Liquids were still the favorites coming into the season by a lot. Yep. Because Cl Cloud9 was running with two rookies in the bot lane, even though they were good and promised. And Fudge had roll swap. Like, nobody knew how that was going to work. So Team Liquid was the overwhelming favorite coming into oh. the spring.
and if this, if, if, I, I guess everybody's just cool with the fact that they almost lose to EG. Yeah. This team should be fucking smacking people. Yeah. Yeah, I still feel the same way. <laughs> like, I agree with everything you said. I think I just have a new business now. It's it's literally the LCS dating service. Let's hurry up. Let's get these. Let's get these guys their green cards. Fall in love. All that stuff. I've been watching a lot really? of love is but blind. You have to get the yeah. girlfriend debuff before you get the wife buff. That's the problem. <laughs> the slump yeah. is real. Ambition. <laughs> Doing it's true. It's, it's true, dude. It's true. The girlfriend debuff hits the pro players real hard and then followed by the wife buff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, the, I think the difference is that there's a goal here from the girlfriend buff to get to the wife buff. So maybe the debuff won't last as long. It's like we're we're building some tenacity because we were saying what the goal is. In, in my the problem is reaching the wife buff because, you know, so many of these players have had the same girlfriends. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> You laugh, but you know right. it's true. <laughs> and with that, <laughs> we leave right. the LCS on a good note. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. Those were our two regions that had uh, two major regions that had games. I know that we have some uh, fans from some minor regions. So here's your time in the spotlight. Here are the three minor regions that qualified as of recording period. From Turkey, we don't have to say 1907 Fenerbahce. We have Istanbul Wildcats who are making their return onto the global stage. Uh, so Is if Holy you're looking Phoenix at rosters. Holy Phoenix still on the squad. So Holy Phoenix okay. is there with Farfetch nice. down on the bottom side of the map. And then you have Saren, Ferret, and Starscreen. Uh, a little uh, lesser note, but uh, some of these guys are returning from last time that they made it to the international stage. Monty, your favorite Japanese squad makes a return here from the LJL. Detonation Focus Me uh, return with Evie and Steel. But then in the mid lane, no more Aria. They're going with a uh, different Korean mid laner, Yaharong, uh, there in the squad. And then no, um, who was it? Gaang before from Detonation Focus Me. This is the same squad that took a game off of Cloud9. They're going with a uh, support named Harp. And then longtime AD carry, Yutapan, still there. Yaharong, mid laner, was with Fredit, good old uh, Reddit Brian, uh, before in last season. And then Harp was at KT, which is where Arya, the former mid laner, uh, went to. So uh, a little bit of shout outs there for Detonation Focus Me. And then finally, our friends from Osh, it's Oda. They return, or I think they make their first international debut. Order has been around for quite some time. The only player with international experience was last year's uh, top lane darling from Pentanet. It's Biopanther, who's moved on from Pentanet. Everyone else new and very, very young. Uh, Biopanther, Kevy, Kissy, Puma, and Corporal are your uh, players there. But a lot of them very young or spent time in like the developmental rosters. Interesting player for everyone. Corporal is considered a uh, Japanese resident because he was a Japanese. Uh, he was born in Japan, but uh, he is also Australian. So spent some time over on SoftBank Hawks last season before joining Order uh, and now moving on to the international stage. So those are three minor region teams that have qualified. We still are waiting to see uh, what's happening with Vietnam, but Latin America have their playoffs. Brazil also have their playoffs. BRTT's squad still in it. 
his contract's in weird limbo, so I'm not exactly sure if he's the one that's playing the AD carry role, but he's still there. Uh, PCS also finishing up as well. So there you go. There's MSI shoutouts for all of our friends globally. Um, yeah. Do we have to watch MSI if LPL doesn't go? Like, do I actually have to watch it, or can I just, like, take two months off? Uh, you can. I give you permission to only watch semifinals on. Okay. All right. It's three best and of fives. We'll just, I'll just come to the show and just have nothing to add. I'll just literally not say one word the entire time. <laughs> like, and LCK games? You wouldn't want to watch T1? Not until yeah, semifinals. Not if not, I mean, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, if LPL doesn't go, like, I think it's just like, I don't know. I, I don't. I think I think G2 like overachieved, but I don't think they're going to be internationally competitive at least this early. Like it's it would be a fuck it would be crazy, bro. Like if they were internationally if they beat T1, holy fuck. That is like the biggest upset in the history of yeah, the world in anything that's ever happened. Yeah. Uh just a reminder for everyone, MSI will have their group stages where teams are put into four groups of uh, three groups of four, so group A, B, and C, except one group will only have two teams, which is how uh, Pentanet got out when they beat uh, Unicorns of Love. And then after that, we go into the Rumble stage where it's just one big group and they all play each other uh, double round robin. And then we get to the knockout stages with the top four teams from the Rumble phase. So uh, MSI all written out. Oh, all right. That was a, a different week of League of Legends just because there was lesser and uh, lesser quality, but we will have, hopefully, the LPL returning with their playoffs, at least online. Uh, they have the beginning of their double elimination bracket. Uh, who is it? It's V5 and Top Esports, and then JDG versus RNG. Whoever wins out of that will play to a winner's bracket finals. Whoever loses still has the opportunity in their loser bracket now that the gauntlet is done. Dom, I, I know we hit it before, but for those of us that uh, missed that last episode, which what excites you about this bracket here? Uh, I mean, I think I think it's just the you get to see the best teams actually play and the fact that now uh, we've had for two years in a row, the team that actually gets like smashed in this round that we're about to have come back and win from the lower bracket. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I just think that generally LPL is pretty hyped to watch. I mean, you you have a, a, a situation where if you look at like the last five splits, I believe a different team has won every split. It was like top JDG, um, top JDG won. And then last year you had EDG, RNG. And I believe before that it was FPX. If you go far enough back to 2019. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty fucking hype uh, that you know, generally you just get a, a new champion all the time. You don't just get to watch the same teams win over and over again. You don't get nine out of 13 uh, championships going to the same work. If you need a palate cleanser, go watch V5. Just go watch a rookie. He's yeah, so also, I mean, just in terms of matchups, the, the rookie night matchup that's happening in top mm -hmm. V5 is pretty sick and also underrated, perhaps the top lane matchup of Rich versus Wayward. So... Yep. It's pretty fucking good. That match is pretty good. I, I will say I'm less excited about the RNG JDG because I was like really disappointed in JDG's play and their last best of five. I, I don't think that's going to be necessarily as competitive, but V5 versus top could be fun. Yep. All right. There you have it. Uh, let's close it out, boys. Time for God or Dog. It's our favorite. Oh. Lesser, lesser candidates here. 
Lots oh, of dogs. Man. Who are the gods? <laughs> I, I, I got mine. I got both of mine. They're they're easy for me. Yeah. Boom. Go for it. Yeah. Okay. So my my god, I'm just gonna go with caps. I mean, yep. I think that's a pretty easy one. Finals MVP. Finals MVP. I mean, this MVP. is the best. This is the best forum we've seen caps in in almost two years. Like this is a uh, yeah. Um, so that's crazy. I mean, Caps had a pretty like middling split. I don't. Did he even get top three? Did he get? Uh, was he even all pro third team? This I don't year? think so. I would have to look. No, I don't think so. Yeah, so it would have been VTO, uh, VTO Larson. Was it humanoid? And humanoid. humanoid. It was VTO humanoid Larson, I believe. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Bricks and Caps both split votes <laughs> in yeah. the third place voting. I think. Yeah. So he wasn't even considered top three. Uh, mid laners in in LEC over the course of the split, and then he was like by far the best mid laner this weekend. Like he was shitting on everyone. All right, I'll, I'll uh, go with I'll go with Yankos, who I think. Well, I think Caps was deserving of the MVP in the finals. I think if you had to give a total playoffs MVP, I would have given it to Yankos because I think he was better in some of the early stages for G two. I think it's very impressive how much. He adapted his play style, and especially as he started to be a little bit more aggressive in the early game in this last weekend, I think he was extremely good. Uh, all right. I was giving mine to Flacken. 10 deaths in 12 games in that run. Especially for a player who is new to playing on stage yep. with an audience. That's very impressive. And, and was getting like a lot of flack from the series before, where he was not doing anything. Uh, he at least settled down and did his job. And uh, to not die that many times, even including that four death, <laughs> that three death start in, in uh, their decisive game three, he, yep. he still only had 10 deaths in the last 12 games. So that was that was pretty uh, uh, huge props to him to make that turnaround there as a young player. Uh, let's go, dog. Who you got, Dom, since you were so adamant about it? <laughs> uh, humanoid. So humanoid Ooh. is my dog. He just died to like every level three gank for like two weeks in a row. I, I don't know. Like. He was always good at drawing pressure and like playing like the enemy jungler wasn't there, which is really good when the enemy jungler is actually not there. But when the enemy jungler just comes to your lane and you just die to everything all the time, I think it's a little bit rough. And then his flash key was like bugged the entire Kaisa game. It just kept on showing that he had flash up, but for some reason he was never flashing anything. So it was rough, man. <laughs> I I, I expect more of humanoid. I think he's a lot better than what he showed. Um, and he's just making the game so hard. I look as a jungler, I empathize with Razork. I take offense to a mid laner dying to that many jungle ganks. It makes the game so fucking hard for no reason. Monty. I think Trimby is a pretty strong candidate, especially compared to his typical performance where he, I think he was very good over the course of the split. I think he seems to be one of those players that was really rattled by having an audience for the first time, but I can't get the Golden Guardians games out of my mind. So I think it has to be Lost who did nothing and picked Jin and Senna and just was completely not present in this series. Uh, don't know if that was the, the coaching decision or his decision to be on some of these off meta picks. I kind of respect the fact that I can only assume that like by playing the fasting Senna, the conclusions of Golden Guardians was that they had to let Ole carry this game on Tom Kench, which I think it was reasonable given the level of play in this series, but kind of tragic at this point in time that you're like, well, guys, uh, here we are. Game three. We just got booty blasted two games in a row. Ole, you're taking all the farm on Tom Kench. Let's go. It's our only chance to win. <laughs> yep. 
I mean, look, it was one of the win conditions their entire split. You had to ban Ole's Tom Kench when you were against him because he would just take over. So, you know, I respect that. Also, when are we going to learn? Like, so I didn't know for weeks that Tom Kench Seno was like not allowed to be played together in LCS. Like, so it was like actually banned in LCS. Like the like league officials said you could set. not play Tom Kench Seno. So when do you, when are they going to actually start sharing with the community? Like what champion combos are not fucking available because that was one of the things i was i wonder if there's about. a commissioner that could do these things and make these well, I, statements to the community like, I, I would just appreciate <laughs> not just sounding like a complete fucking idiot on my stream where i just keep on saying like hey i really think that tom kench senna would be good here oh why don't they play it no one's playing tom kench senna and it's like eventually a coach just hits me up and it's like yo by the way like this shit has been banned for three weeks you know so I, I didn't even know that Tom Ken Center was possible when they were hovering it. I was telling my chat, like, no, it's banned. So, like, why don't we get to hear, like, what champion combos are banned and what champion combos are available so we actually know the parameters in which, you know, we are, it, which we should be judging professional League of Legends. I mean, through. I mean, Dom, we have we have lots of questions like this. So here's another commissioner question for you. So in the LCK finals that happened when they when T1 announces the day after that they have COVID, why isn't the commissioner making a statement about what their COVID protocols are and when they tested and just clarifying? Why is that Joe Marsh and uh, Joe Marsh's job to like go out there and make statements on behalf of the team? And like then Arnold's like rolling up saying like, oh, no, the COVID protocols are fine. It's like, hello, where's the where's the commissioner to make the announcements about the way the league works? Hello, anybody, 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 my job? Is that is that is that the job? <laughs> you know, as somebody uh, who has been a commissioner, I would just go out there and be like, look, guys, this is what the league does to protect the players. And here are our protocols. Seems reasonable. Weird, weird. Apparently, I'm the only human being on Earth capable of doing this, apparently. Yep. Monty for commission 2023. No, there we go. Monty doesn't Dumb. want that job. Too bad. Never. Too bad. Never. You just you Never. just sold yourself, man. Yeah. I, I, look, I'll sell myself. You've okay. Here, I'll, I'll make a deal. I'll make a deal with you. Okay. I will be commissioner of LCS if Riot lets LCS go to an independent tournament operator and stops operating it themselves. That is the deal. Okay. Yeah. Right. It'd be better for everybody. It would happen. be better for everybody. Yeah. Right. That's. <laughs> sorry. Like I, I'm, I'm seeing my riot like training, like kind of like go Dion, like haywire Dion, right don't now. Even, dude. Don't even go through this PTSD. You just get it. Yeah, dude. All right. <laughs> uh, my dog is Nocturne. It's Nocturne. Well, I don't know why we're playing Nocturne. All right. Hey everyone, thank you so much for watching. Again, lesser matches means we're digging into uh, these games as much as we can. We'll dive into the LPL if the matches are played. We'll have some LCS matches next week as well. And we'll, I guess we'll do our, uh, you know, a, a recap for some of these minor regions that also qualify on in. Uh, other than that, you can catch Monty on his shows. You can catch Dom with his shows and his co-streams uh, for next week. And then uh, I have my Afro interview coming out on Degon Esports. You can obviously catch more League of Legends content here on the Deserto YouTube channel. If you subscribe, helps us out, so make sure you do that. Until then, we will catch you guys next week for more Jungle. See ya.